Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. It was during a game of Monopoly with his roommates in college that David Perry, my guest today, had a revelation. Everyone will always need a place to live and a place to work. He majored in accounting and economics, and David saw accounting as the language of business and economics as how you really run a business. And what was so special about real estate is he realized that the real estate was the marriage of both. Since he began his career, he's been involved in over a billion dollars of real estate sales. And one year alone, he brought in over $120 million of apartments sold. And what's unique is that the vast majority of David's business is working with couples or individuals going through separation and divorce. And he's so dedicated to helping these individuals that he went back to school and became a certified divorce real estate specialist. This gives him a particular expertise in working with individuals, couples going through divorce regarding to their most important, often most valuable asset. Well, their primary home, their real estate. So today, we're so fortunate to have him here, and he's going to be telling us all the things that you need to think about with not only whether or not you should sell your home, but what the pitfalls are that could be huge financial mistakes, not only now, throughout the process, but also long term. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome David Perry from Brown Harris Stevens. David, it's great to have you here. Um, I'm always fascinated to hear how individuals launch into their career. And for you in particular, as a a real estate expert and helping people buy and sell real estate. Um, But what's unique is that you have a special niche and actual certification in helping couples who are going through divorce. you know, did you find this industry? Did this industry find you? I'm I'm really fascinated. Well, uh, it's a funny story. I do a lot of networking, as you know, and I met a divorce attorney, and she introduced me to you, and you told me about this certification. Mm-hmm. So I left after meeting you and did some research, and I found a reputable organization that offers a certification. Uh, And after I got that certification as a certified real estate divorce specialist, uh, it allowed me to talk in front of other divorce professionals. And most of my business now derives from couples that are going through this process and they hire me to help them sell their home. And, you know, I working with any couple uh, buying and selling real estate would be very difficult because real estate has so much emotion. And I'm actually going through the process of buying a property up in Vermont mm-hmm. in Stratton, right next to our current home. And, um, you know, the o- emotions are, are there. You fall, you fall in love. Sure. A typical, um, a typical transaction is 
you and your spouse are running around together, or sometimes you are doing the the field work first, or he is, yeah, yeah. or they are, and then you communicate about it yeah. together. Yeah. In a, a divorce or a separation situation, what happens is the couple typically don't want to talk to each other during this period of their life, yeah. even though they need to communicate together on this specific issue. So you have to remember to include the both as one and only have conversations where both of them are together at all times. I had a situation uh, where I was selling a home for a couple that was going through a separation and I showed the home. It was a very successful showing. The person really loved the apartment and it was, everybody was happy. And the broker even said, I think, well, you'll expect an offer later today. And then I was turning off the lights and putting stuff away and getting the home back to where it was before I got there. And I walk, as I'm walking out the door, one of the people come in and they say, oh, how did it go? And I say, oh, I think we're going to expect an offer from this couple. It was, it went very well. And then before I could get on the subway to get back to my office to write a little report about what uh, had transpired at the showing, I got a phone call from the other spouse saying, my other spouse is not capable of negotiating this deal. How come you already have accepted an offer? So that's how communication can get yeah. on something yeah. that's so simple as just a hello, hi, yeah, things yeah. went great, yeah. to it blows up into your face. So I have yeah. to remember to, after every single conversation, send a text or an email immediately that I had the conversation with one side of the Yeah, the, so the both people are on the same page because, yeah. I mean, here you are, you're dealing with something very emotional you know, couples who are getting along, who are happily married, it's hard enough, mm-hmm. right? And then here you are dealing with couples who many times sure. um, hate each other. And mm-hmm. it's not always um, each person's first choice to sell the property. So correct. do you find yourself in that role of, of in some ways, being a mediator? You know, I'm not trained for that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> but sure you're I'm not trained a for a lot in real estate that you have to deal uh, with. But <laughs> It's true. You know, I'll... I've had situations where someone doesn't want to leave the home. And in these situations, it's best to have the separation agreement spell out everything that can go, that can go correctly and incorrectly during this, this transaction. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if it's spelled out that I'm allowed to show during these hours on these days, and the couple will agree to, Make sure that the home is clean and that it's fixed up before I even get to the point of showing it, uh, and the hours that I'm allowed to show it, and it's and it's all written down on the piece of paper that they sign. They're more likely to allow me to go in and have the open house at that time. That doesn't mean that when I actually come to show up after sending them reminders about how I'm going to be there the next day and even that day, an hour before. Hey, listen, we can't show the apartment because Junior is sick. And uh, then I'm already like on my way there or I'm actually in the lobby. I'll end up just waiting in the lobby because people will be showing up Mm -hmm. to see the home and I'll meet with them at a time. And, and you know, sometimes it's true that the person is Mm -hmm. ill and really shouldn't be shown. And that happens in life just like in any other situation. But when it happens three weekends in a row, you see a pattern like this, then you have to kind of make sure that they're on board with this and that everyone yeah. is aware of it. And then you have to get attorneys involved. Yeah. Uh, but usually when they've signed a piece of paper to say they're going to do something, they feel a little bit more obligated. And as long as you are listening to the person and 
trying to figure out a workaround toward that particular problem, things get solved and mm-hmm. we, and then eventually you move forward. And Yeah. So it's sounding like a, a best practice um, for our listeners who would be, you know, selling a property because of a, a divorce or a separation is to get everything in writing, whether, you know, when, you know, how many, how many open houses, the time period that it's allowed, um, what's going to be expected as far as cleaning the house before. Um, and I imagine the other real sticky piece is what types of offers are you going to accept? Mm-hmm. And how do you deal with the possibility that price reductions might need to be had, especially in the environment that we're dealing with right now, mm-hmm. particularly in the New York City area, um, you know, there are some people, not all, but there are some people that are having to reduce the prices to get something to move. Yeah, and I'll and I'll talk to be happy to talk about the market. I could have a whole twenty minute episode on what's going yeah. on in the New York market and how we got here and how prices went up from twenty eleven to twenty fifteen and how they've been softer since. Uh, but I think uh, when you're dealing with a, a declining market, it in you have to be able to capture in an agreement of what happens after a certain amount of time if you don't reach projected sale prices mm-hmm. that you've agreed to and what you will agree to. And you, you try to get them to agree to a range and not a specific number. And having everything in writing from you, you agree to spend this amount of money to fix up the home by doing these amount of things and fixing these items and having it in a clean shape. And it needs to be in a showroom shape. Yeah. Uh, to show the home. And sometimes, you know, you're living there. So you, you need to be able to just put stuff away when you put stuff away. And and I try and get there early to clean things up or walk the dog or whatever it needs to be done. Um, but when you have that all written down and who the responsibility is to fix the apartment, to paint the apartment, uh, and and the, at least you can get there and have that the pictures taken. And then once the showing begins, then when you do show up, and show the apartment to make sure that it's okay and have that written down of what, when you can show it with specific windows. Sometimes you know that at two o'clock on every day of the week, someone's taking a nap. So you won't show during that time. But if it's 4.30, then it's okay to, be, to show yeah. at that time. Or that every Sunday you're going to have an open house or at least have the option to have that open house every Sunday because that's the popular time to do it in New York. We don't really show that often on Saturdays. Um, And then when you do get that offer to discuss with both of them on the phone, and sometimes when you're having this discussion with them, this is the first time that they're actually on the phone together Mm -hmm. and they decide to talk about other things and getting them back on target and getting them to move forward. You'll, they'll talk about someone didn't pick up the children when they were supposed to. I can only imagine. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine all the things that, that they go off and bringing them them back. And, um, you know, something that we talked about that I thought was really interesting, um, is that couples should feel free to reach out to you, even if they're not sure they want to sell or buy that, that having you as a resource is really important from the beginning. And I'll tell you from my I mean, that's wonderful to hear because I don't think that all real estate brokers really want to talk to people who haven't made a decision. But, you know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the different, the different things that couples need to think about if they Mm -hmm. are looking to 
looking to sell or looking to, you know, each buy something different. Or in some of the cases, and I know that this is pretty expensive, but maybe one of the spouses wants to buy out the other spouse and try and stay. And, you know, so what are some of those issues that Stacey, what happens uh, in some cases, some couples contact me first before they've even discussed it with the other spouse or with an attorney, or they know that they are thinking about this event that's going to happen in their lives. And I think, well, let me figure out what my home is worth. And my runway is very long. I end up working with couples for two, two and a half years. I've been in the business for over 25 years. So you know that if you're going to talk to me, I'm going to be here a couple of years from now when it's finally ready for sale. And what I do at the very beginning is I will sit down with a couple or an individual who's curious about the value of their home, because sometimes they just need to kind of put the big chunks of assets into baskets to figure out what each thing is worth approximately. And so that they can think in in their heads, can I actually get divorced? Because some people think that they can, that that they can get divorced and then they realize that some of their assets that might not make sense for them at this particular time, or, you know, I leave that up to the experts, but my job is to tell them, this is what you would need to do to get your home ready for sale. This is what the approximate value would be if I were to list it today and what price that we'd probably get at the end of the day and different strategies that we can employ for their specific home uh, in this specific market to get the highest and best value for their home. Mm-hmm. And there are strategies that are vary from property size to value uh, that are very different. Mm-hmm. You might want to price it under the market to get the most people in, or you might want to price it a little high in order to negotiate down. It all depends on where we are and yeah. where it is and what the story yeah. is for that particular home. So having all of that, I then sit down with them a second time and then see if where they are in the process, maybe they have, now they're ready to kind of take that first step forward and remind them, okay, so we need to fix this a dishwasher. We need to paint this room. We need to get rid of the black room and change it back to white or uh, bless (laughs) or the purple room, (laughs) the purple room. Right. Uh, (laughs) And get it into showroom state. And then finally, there's a lot that happens before we even get to showing it. And then there's a lot that happens even after uh, we get the offer. And that's where the real work begins. So, you know, it's it's all of that up until the closing, which once you actually get an offer in Manhattan, you're working with co-ops mostly, and in some cases condos, and you have an offer and you send out a contract and then it's 60 days to 90 days to close. I mean, 90 days is where, you know, 30 to to 90 days, depending on the co-op before you finally can move in. So one of the questions we get a lot, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are, um, clients will come to us and say, you know, we bought the house 15 years ago. We're not really sure what it's worth. Should we reach out to someone like you to get just kind of approximate value, or should we actually go and have an appraisal done? Um, Excellent question. Yeah. What's the difference between the two? Yeah. An appraisal will do very much very similar thing to as what I would do. They're going to look at the comps and they're going to look at what's sold in, in, in the, the area, in the, in the neighborhood. And an appraiser all day long is what they do is they go in and very coldly look at what has recently sold and give you a, 
an exact value of a number of what this home was worth approximately. And they look at, and then you can see what the different comps are. Now, these appraisers probably haven't seen all of these apartments. Yeah. And I think the major difference is I may have. Yeah. I've been into similar apartments. I, that's all I do is look at apartments all day. And that's what all they do too. So they may not have seen these specific ones, but I may have gone in and seen, oh, well, the reason that sold for that price was because of this. And I may find out other information because I've done over, I think it's over 500 transactions in the city. I know a lot of the brokers that have sold those apartments so I can call them up. I have a good relationship with with them and say, hey, I I saw you sold this. It doesn't look like it sold at the market. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Or why did it take three years to sell? Or it Mm -hmm. sold very quickly. What happened? And get a little bit of the color so that way when I am pricing their apartment, I can get the color behind each of these stories to kind of, it's not an exact science. It is an, uh, an approximation and you have to kind of come up with a strategy in order to get that best value. So you, it's not, in some cases, the apartment above and the apartment below sold for, sold in the last six months and you can get an idea of your apartment in the middle. And that's the beauty of New York is there's usually 10 other apartments that are very similar to mm-hmm. yours. And when you see one sell and yours is in the same condition, you can get a good idea of value. But mm-hmm. in other cases, you may have the most unique apartment on, in the city and nothing like that has sold in the last three years. And you're wondering, how am I going to value this? Yeah. And you have to kind of create a whole story of why you come up with this value. Yeah. So, and, and it's interesting what you're talking about. It's almost, there, there's, there's really two things. It's the, what is my apartment worth? But it's also, what would it sell for? Which, mm-hmm. which could be, you know, could be two different things, depending. Um, do you ever have couples who you come back with a value and one of them doesn't agree with the value. And, and typically- it, Only every time. Only every time. <laughs> because typically I see, especially if one person's buying out another, right? So the person who's buying out mm-hmm. wants that value to come in as low as possible. The person who's being purchased, their their ownership, right. and they're getting the, the value paid to them in some other asset, whether it's cash or mm-hmm. a retirement account or something else, they want that value to be sky high. So what would you recommend to those listeners now who foresee or are dealing with that? Do you get two uh, real estate agents? Do you just go to, for a formal appraisal? Well, um, those that don't agree, uh, you can get two and average them. You can get you can pay for an appraisal. My mm-hmm. I usually work for free, so mm-hmm. I'll go in yeah. and I'll give them that estimate for free, and that. Uh, and some people say, well, why would you do that? Because eventually I hope to get the sale out of that yeah. particular transaction. Or someone's going to buy an apartment after they get divorced. And maybe I get to work with one of those two or both, sometimes both of those people after the divorce. Um, so it you could horse trade and you could uh, take an average. You'd have to agree that yeah. whatever those Going numbers come that. in. I think if you don't agree, it's better to pay the money and get the appraisal. If you're not, if you're at a point in your life where you've got the blinders on and you're only focused on one thing, then you better off paying the thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars for the appraisal. And maybe you pay for two appraisals. I've I've seen appraisals come in incorrectly in my career, uh, and most recently on something that I'm trying to sell. But just because the appraisal number comes in doesn't mean that it's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 
just because I come in with an estimate of value doesn't mean that I'm correct either, but I have this experience and I'm happy to talk to a few of the couple who feel that their apartment typically, that they never say it's worth less than what I say, but they always say it's worth more. Uh, I'm working with a couple that is in this process right now and they believe their apartment is worth a lot more than what I feel the value is. And I listened to their argument and I actually came up a little bit from my original value. I didn't come up to where they were, but they presented an argument because of a couple different factors that were unique about their home that I hadn't really thought about until they mentioned mm-hmm. and so went back and sharpened my pencil a little bit and said, oh, you know what, I, I could come up with a little bit higher number of value because of this, this argument. And I would agree to try and sell at a higher number. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you're actually do get that listing and you're trying to sell it, sometimes it might make sense to list it at the higher number and see if you can get it, but you're better off pricing it as close to the market as possible. And I'll tell you why, if you decide to come in too high and it's on the market for a longer period of time, the longer it is on the market, the, the lower the value that the apartment will get mm-hmm. over time. And there's a graph, uh, that I can send you that shows that once it's reached a certain point on the market, and it depends on the value of that apartment. If it's an $18 million home, it's been on the market for six months, that's fine. But if it's a $2 million home and it's been on the market for 18 months, then there's a problem. Um, Mm -hmm. So you need to think about pricing it as close to the market as possible in order to get the most, most viewers, most eyeballs into your apartment in order to get the highest value. And that is where the real art form is and the skill is of working with an experienced real estate broker. Mm -hmm. Someone that knows that if you price it right, you'll get more people in and maybe you'll get a couple of people that are interested at the same time and it'll bid up a little bit higher Mm -hmm. than what it would normally sell for if you tried to come in at a higher price and then negotiate down, which in my mind only works on a handful of properties. So what happens when you have a couple, they're selling their primary home and um, each of them needs to buy their own apartment. Is there a process where primary home needs to be sold first, then they can each purchase their own? Um, you know, what would that, what would be the options for timing? Is it yeah. really just about dollars available it and, is. You to know, be able to make couples, those new uh, apartments work? I worked with a couple uh, in 2012. 2013, that the, I knew, I knew the family very well. Um, the wife came to me and said, I'm divorcing my husband. I'm moving out of the home. Help me buy an apartment. We bought an apartment and then he started to look on his own for an apartment mm-hmm. and she recommended me to him. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> you should That's, just use David. Yeah. Okay. You know, he had a bad experience with a broker. I ended up finding him a home. And then I sold their marital home. Now, this was the second marriage for her. Mm-hmm. She then referred me to her first husband who was getting divorced. And the from same thing happened. A different a, lady. From right. a different woman, yeah. different person. So I ended up doing three transactions through them as well. I ended up selling their marital home and buying homes for both spouses. In that case, these people lived on Park Avenue. It was a very large home. Mm-hmm. They also had other homes that uh, were owned by siblings and children, uh, children, uh, I'm sorry, children, and uh, ended up selling five or six homes for that one family. 
Now, that was a rare situation where these where this family had a lot of money. And in yeah. New York, there's a lot of those families. But most of the people in Manhattan don't have that kind of money and need yeah. to sell the home first. Yeah, that and that's the majority of the case because you don't have the assets, first of all, to buy the other apartment or home until you sell that home. Yeah. And you don't know what that timing is going to be. You don't know if it's going to take 30 days or 18 months. Yeah. So it, until you're ready to buy and actually go into contract, that's when you really should start seriously looking. It does make a lot of sense to go out and be familiar with the market and see what you can afford and go and see things casually and go to open houses and work with somebody that can tell you that don't waste your time and go to that building, but you should check out these homes. Uh, and that's the way a typical transaction yeah. works for most people. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of liken it to, you know, go out there and, and take a look, but God forbid you fall in love with a property, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to purchase it, it until happens. that that original is is sold. And so I and imagine- And what happens yeah. is now every single home that they go see is compared to the home that they didn't get. Yeah. So they're waiting for that other home to come back on the market. So this sounds they, a little bit like my dating life. So <laughs> I was dating someone very seriously. He broke up with me 22 years ago. And then every single man, idiot. every man after I, I compared, but the thank goodness, Michael came out. I was like, Michael blew him out of the water. So, um, but it's, it's the same thing. So I imagine for some people, it might be better just to kind of hold off and instead look at rentals and mm-hmm. realize that you may be renting for a year, but True. that's not necessarily a bad thing. If your life is in flux and your transition and you're not sure if you want to move to this new area or if you want to stay in the same area where your spouse might be. Right. Yeah. So Divorce that- is bad. Moving is also bad. Uh, moving twice is pretty bad. Uh, but you're better off moving into a rental temporarily. And you know what I love about, uh, I going to say what I love about women is they like to be grounded first mm-hmm. and they will first be grounded. And at the, the, The ones that decide to take a rental for a year or two while they get settled in, it's a lot has happened in the last year while they've gone to gotten divorced and sold their home. Then they can then say, okay, now that I'm settled here, I can now look for that marital, that next home, that, that next apartment. Yeah. That's really the right fit, the right fit. And that's what most people should do. So when you're um, looking at rentals, you know, Typically, there's a, a fee for the rental and a security deposit. Yes. What are some of the fees for purchasing so that people can understand, you know, whether it's the broker commission, the real estate attorney, the title insurance, the, mm-hmm. you know, commission on the, um, you know, mortgage that you take out? What are some of the things that yeah, our listeners need to make sure that they're yeah, that, they're factoring there in. There's some things that they need to think about when they're buying. It's real a lot of the expenses are when they're selling. So when they do find that one lease, they can actually talk to that landlord and in their lease they can write an option that says I want to get out within 60 days notice with us paying a certain fee. So if they're renting, they can actually write in right. that they can leave within a certain time period to not forego their security deposit, right. which can be one or two months rent. I mean, it, it can, can be. be quite. Some landlords will ask for a fee for that though. So what okay. we'll equivalent to one or two months rent. Okay. So it all depends on what your stomach is for that. Okay. Uh, but then when you're buying a home, most of the fees are on the seller. So the seller pays the transfer taxes, unless they're buying a new development, in which case 
that seller pushes that fee onto the buyer mm-hmm. and it becomes a negotiation. Then you have to negotiate that number back. So when you go in to buy a new development, this, that, that seller tries to push all of those fees onto you. And some of those are negotiable, especially in this market. Sometimes those landlords take a hard line and you know everything is negotiable in this market and you try and negotiate price as well as those fees. And the landlord views it like, hey, if you're negotiating here, you're negotiating too much. That being aside, if you're just doing a regular resale, the seller pays for the broker that you're working with, as well as the transfer taxes, which can be as much as about 2% in the city. Uh, You'll have to pay legal fees to buy a place. Uh, That attorney will cost anywhere from $2,500 to $3,500. You can have it cheaper, but I wouldn't recommend not for the that. biggest investment of most people's lives. Yeah. People yeah. will try yeah. and save money there and uh, you kind of get what you pay for in that, that sort of situation. That attorney won't really do their due diligence on the building and read the financial reports or go and read all the minutes and you, you'll kind of miss out on that. Uh, all the other incidentals are pretty small. Uh, your total costs when you're purchasing a place run about 2% to... 5% and can be as much as 6%, you know, in the higher range if you're buying a new development, in the lower range when you're just buying um, uh, a resale, a condo, mm-hmm, a co-op mm-hmm. from somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that's important and um, important so that as you go into the process of selling a property or buying a property, um, that you understand that. And if you're selling a property and there are costs as far as repainting, new whatever, that that's discussed and that you know how that's being split and who is, right. who, who needs to do that. Um, Your costs when you're, when you're buying may also include uh, paying a point on your mortgage in order to get a lower rate. Mm-hmm. And there may be some mortgage fees, but the, all that's baked into that number. And your costs when you're selling are the broker's fees, which can run as high as 6%. Uh, and it varies from state to state, but in Manhattan, typically four, five, six percent, depending on the value of the property. The higher the value of the property, the lower the number might be, but rarely is it below four. Um, and then you'll have to pay for the transfer taxes, which, as we discussed, is about two percent. And then there are probably incidentals that amount to another one or two percent, including the lawyer, which is about three thousand dollars. And yeah. And the nice thing is, is this is all spelled out. And so it's not like, you know, you have to try and calculate this on the back of a napkin while you're, you know, having your lunch. Um, This has been really helpful. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you feel is really important, um, particularly, you know, particularly for women who, um, you know, the primary home has been really important to them and their family and, you know, it's a difficult process. I think the most important thing, it depends on the, the person that uh, you're talking to. There are some very successful women that can afford to pay the maintenance and the mortgage on a home. And for them, it might make sense to do the buyout and keep the home and not disrupt the family and move on to some other location. But if there's someone with more modest means and they have heard or all their friends have gotten the, the, the marital asset, and that's the most important thing to them. They really need to look at the cost of owning that home going forward mm-hmm. because that could 
cause such a financial strain on them two or three years after the divorce that it would really affect their quality of life going forward. And that's where they need to work with somebody like you that can say, hey, this home may cost too much for you. You could afford to buy it, yes, but to maintain it and to pay the taxes and the maintenance on it and the upkeep would just be too much of a burden for you. And you really should consider selling it and moving moving into a more modest situation. Yeah. 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 And that's um, so important and so true. And again, looking at, well, there are enough assets that he can take all the retirement and I take the house. Um, But, you know, is that really the right thing for you? Is that really the right thing? And you bring a really wonderful outside view of, okay, look at not only now, but but long-term, what's mm-hmm. going to be best for you. Right. And I also worked with a, a couple that was separating and she was successful and he was successful and they uh, wanted to get out of that apartment that, they, that she was living in. He had already moved out. She decided to sign a lease somewhere else while this home was still vacant. And the judge ruled that all the expenses of the marital home were still hers as well as this new lease. And it was such a burden on her. Oh my gosh. It wasn't being split evenly. So when you're thinking, I just want to get out of this marital asset, really understand and work with your attorney whose obligation it might be to pay all those expenses going down the road. And she was really stuck in a rock and a hard place for a short period of time. We really uh, then aggressively had to price the home and sell it and sell it because they were put in a bad spot. She thought that it would, those expenses would be shared and they weren't. So knowing those costs and making sure that who's responsible for them is very important. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about real estate, but I know having to sell in a fire sale is never good. (laughs) So People always uh, will come in and they'll ask me, why is this couple leaving? And I never tell them that it's because of divorce. Yeah, uh, people yeah. then feel like they have an advantage or something. Yeah, and that's not. It's right. not information to share. It's not something that I would ever disclose uh, to anybody, the, to the doorman or to yeah. uh, people that are buying. I would say that this home no longer suits their needs, and they're looking for a different space. And yeah. leave it at that. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's this perception that you might get a, a better price. The price is the price, and if if they're working with somebody and they have the time to get the, the highest price, then uh, it's better to work with a strat, you know, some type of strategy to get there. Well, thank you. How can our listeners reach out to you if you want to give your email, um, website, you know, contact yeah. information? And also, David, what we'll do is we'll have uh, show notes and we'll have links. So everyone listening will have links. Um, both to the chart that David mentioned that I'm really excited to see of how long your house is on the market and what that might do to the eventual price, the the lower price that you might get. And we'll also include all of uh, David's contact information. But if you want to share yeah, a little bit. I'm uh, easily found at D Perry. My last name is P-E-R-R-Y at B is in boy, H is in Harry. S's and Stevens, USA.com. And I'll repeat that again. D Perry at BHSUSA.com. I'm at Brown Harris Stevens. Uh, my, if you go to the website there and look me up, you can see uh, some of the sales that I've done. I, I don't list all 
500 of them, but I list quite a few of them and a little bit of a uh, different bio than what I'm giving Stacy here. Uh, and I think I might change it to this new bio because I really like writing it. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and thank you so much, David, for thank spending Thank you very much, Stacy. It was really great Sorry. to come. Thank you. I took a huge amount away from our conversation here with David Perry, and he brought a real authenticity to how to think about working with your spouse through the divorce process and selling your apartment or not selling it and staying in your home, helping you really think about the short-term and long-term considerations, both financially as well as just the the day-to-day. He's worked with hundreds of couples, and that is why I wanted him to share his background, his insight with you. If you are thinking about or going through the divorce process and have questions, please do reach out to us. We can model out for you and show you whether or not staying in your primary home is feasible and affordable. And if you do need to sell, what you can afford going forward for you, whether it's purchasing a property, downsizing, renting, those are all things that are part of our analysis. So please do reach out for this information because that's what we're here for. See, I started Francis Financial because I saw my grandmother not leave her marriage. She confided in me that she stayed because she was afraid of what would happen to her financially if she left. I don't wish that future for anyone. So please do reach out and get the financial information you need to make good decisions. We're here for you. You can email me at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. And you can also visit our website, www.francisfinancial.com. Thank you for tuning into Financially Ever After. Hi, my name is Dave Perry. I wanted to give a update on what's going on in the real estate market post-COVID. A lot has happened and not that much has happened in the last few months. For the last few months, we were not allowed to show apartments here in the city. So I was unable to go out and show an apartment. I did go and make videos of apartments, but that was all done with like a handheld kind of gorilla style on my cell phone. So the quality was never really going to be great. But now we're in phase two. I can schedule appointments and have a professional photographer come in and take professional pictures. And we're the first step into getting back to business and real estate. In New York City, most of the apartments are either co-ops or condos. And even though the state of New York has allowed us to go out of our apartments and show new apartments for sale, the real rulers of the world are these co-op and condo organizations and boards that have set up these rules to allow showings based on meeting certain criteria. Some are not allowing showings at all, and some don't really have any guidelines in place and you can go ahead and show. And then there's a range in between there where most of the things are happening. For example, I have one apartment building, no showings are allowed. A a different apartment building where I'm selling, they'll allow a showing if you have a reasonable offer in place, then they'll allow the showing. 
And what I've done with all of my apartments is get financial information from the buyer upfront. I will get a financial form and proof of funds that they can close. And that little hurdle weeds out a lot of lookers. Although in my opinion, I don't think that there are very many people just kicking tires in this market. I think if you're out looking at apartments, you are serious. And before we talk about the market and where we are exactly today, we need to take a look at what was it like yesterday. And by yesterday, I mean January, February of 2020 before COVID shut us down. And to look at where we were in January and February of 2020, we should look back and see how we got there. The last downturn lasted about three years. It started in 2008 and went down until about 2011. And that's when we started seeing increases after that. So after the financial crisis of 2008, three years later, we started to see positive price increases in real estate. I would expect a similar situation to happen with this recovery as well. After 2011, prices went up very sharply up until about 2015. In 2015, we kind of plateaued and started to drop from there. In 2019, early 2020 pricing, we were basically at 2013 pricing. So if you had bought an apartment in 2013, it was worth almost identical if you were going to sell it in 2019, the early 2020. Now, today's market is unknown, to be honest, because there have not been very many transactions. Everything that we've seen has been mostly anecdotal. I can tell you about a couple apartments here and a couple apartments there. We're seeing about 10% of what we saw in the previous year. So, for example, in May, we normally get about 1,800 apartments on the market, and we sell about 1,000 apartments in that month maybe a little bit more, maybe like 1,100, 1,200 sometimes. And in this previous May, we saw very few apartments come on the market. We saw zero, almost zero apartments come on the market. We had about 8,000 apartments in total in a normal market on the market at any given time in the spring. And this May, we were at 5,000 apartments on the market in May and June. So a third has just been taken off the table where we would normally see about 300 apartments a week going into contract, we saw less than 100 and getting closer to about 50 a week, 40 to 50 apartments per week. And when you go into the luxury market, and some people have different arguments about what luxury is, but just to pick a number above 4 million, a lot of different reports are based on that number. And above 4 million, we saw a huge change. So in May, we'd normally have about $1.8 billion worth of sales. Now we're seeing about $180 million worth of sales. So a big difference, about 10% of what was sold a year ago is being sold today. Normally, we'd see about 25 contracts a week getting signed in the spring. And now we're seeing about four or five contracts a week. This last week, it was a very special week. We had 12 contracts signed, which was very impressive. And probably 80% of those signed contracts are either townhouses or condos. Only a handful, a very small number have been co-ops. 
and co-ops represent the largest portion of the market. Now, most of these sales began before February of 2020, meaning people saw them early on. They saw them in January, they saw them in December. Maybe they had started negotiations and then walked away and then went to their Hamptons house and decided, you know what, now's the time to buy. And when those contracts were signed, we saw below $2 million, they were being signed at about 7 to 10% off of the market. And if they're above $4 million, we saw between 10 and 17% off the market. It's all anecdotal It's because we don't have enough information to say that it's a market yet. We have spotty information. We can't tie it all together and in a nice flow chart or a nice chart to, to show what exactly the market is doing. But with this anecdotal evidence, we're able to piece this together. I do see this kind of continuing for the next couple of years until we get full GDP back. So the head of the S&P, an economist at the S&P, is this woman who predicts that we'll get back to pre-COVID GDP in 2023. So if that's true, then it would also coincide with that earlier prediction that I said that we'll be back in a normal real estate market by 2023, or maybe we'll start seeing prices increase at that time. So I think if you're a seller and you're needing to sell today or you're getting divorced today, my recommendation would be to list and sell as soon as possible. I would list and sell this month or next month. Typically, sales don't happen that often from July through August. So maybe it's listing in the fall and getting the apartment ready for listing between now and then. I think that we're going to slowly step down in this market. As deals come across the table, they'll be a little bit lower than last year. And then next year will be a little bit lower unless there's a dramatic 180 degree turnaround in the economy and a solution to the virus. So right now we're only seeing concessions of between five and 10% on contracts, but I expect that to increase over the longer term. I do feel like if you are thinking about selling or thinking about renting out your apartment now and then selling, if you have a very long-term horizon, five years, then I think that may make sense. But you have to consider and do the math on that. The rental that you would have gotten on your apartment is also about 20% less. So for example, a $7,000 apartment would be lucky to rent for 6,000, probably is worth 5,800 today. Now, if you have a unique property, all that is very different. If you have a unique property and it has some beautiful outdoor space and it's in the best building in Manhattan, maybe prices are less elastic there, but I don't have enough detail yet to figure that out. So I just wanted to give that brief update on the market since a lot has happened since I spoke to Stacy. And hopefully, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I'd be happy to answer them. The best way to reach me is by my cell phone, which is 917-496-5081. And you can mention the podcast. Or you can reach out to me via email, which is dperry, that's P-E-R-R-Y, at B as in boy, H as in Harry, S as in Stevens, USA.com. So 
It's dperry at bhsusa.com. Thank you for this opportunity, Stacy, and the chance to give an update on the market. I'd love to talk about the market. If there's anyone that's interested in just finding out what the value of their home is, I'm happy to provide that for free. To go in, take a quick look, provide comps, tell you where I think it was, what it was worth in January of 2020 and what it might sell for today. And as we step further into this market, with the more knowledge that I have, the more accurate I can be on pricing these units.